I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is moving to expand its regulatory domain by adding oversight of certain diagnostics it does not regulate today. The agency says thousands of these tests are used daily to guide treatment decisions and diagnose disease, and it wants to ensure their validity and advance personalized medicine. We spoke to Nathan Beaver, a partner with Foley and Lardner, about the FDA's efforts, the implications for diagnostics companies, and why the agency's plans are being met with some resistance from industry and Congress. Nate, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is moving toward regulating so-called LDTs, laboratory-developed tests, a move it says will encourage the development of personalized medicine by helping to ensure the reliability of certain diagnostic tests. Let's start with LDTs themselves. What's the difference between an LDT and and other diagnostic? What constitutes whether a diagnostic is is an LDT? Sure, that's a a great question. Let me begin, actually, by talking about uh, an in vitro diagnostic. Let's start with that, because an LDT is essentially a subset of that. Um, But an IVD uh, is from an FDA perspective, treated as a device where FDA defines a medical device as an instrument, apparatus, implement, machine, contrivance, implant, or in vitro reagent, uh, which is intended for use in the diagnosis of disease or other conditions, or in the cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease in man or other animals. Um, Within that context of what is an IVD, uh, FDA has defined the term laboratory-developed test, uh, or more commonly known as LDTs these days, as an IVD that's intended for clinical use and is and that is designed, manufactured, and used within a single laboratory. So, really, the the key aspect of that is is FDA considers an uh, an an I an LTD to be to be an in vitro diagnostic. Uh, device that's used within a single laboratory and was created by a single laboratory. Why haven't these tests been regulated historically? Well, they have been uh, regulated historically from the sense that FDA has always had jurisdiction over these types of devices, not only IVDs, but LTDs. Um, however, in, you know, for the past 20 or 30 years, FDA has taken a very hands-off approach with respect to these devices, uh, uh, using what in the legal world we would call enforcement discretion, essentially meaning that, that FDA has asserted jurisdiction but has not placed any requirements on manufacturers, uh, of, of, 
LDTs to actually comply with what normally a manufacturer of a medical device would have to go through, which includes things like registration and listing with FDA, uh, either obtaining approval or 510K clearance uh, for those types of devices. And, and in the past, none of those requirements have been placed on LDT uh, manufacturers or, or labs that, uh, that, uh, that use them. Well, you know, I, I may have misspoke a, a moment ago. The, the, the Centers for Medicaid and Services regulates LDTs under the Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendments, or CLIA Act. How, how will this change things for diagnostic makers if, if FDA steps in and says, we're going to regulate these now? Sure, and, and, and you're right to say that that it's not as though there has been no oversight of LDTs before. Um, and that was, uh, of course, one of the reasons as well that FDA felt comfortable for, you know, a very long time in taking the position that there was sufficient oversight of LDTs already through the CLIA process and, and through oversight with CMS. Um, I think FDA's position has been, and, and certainly uh, there is support from some sectors of the industry in what FDA is, is proposing that we'll talk about soon, I'm sure, um, but there has been support uh, for uh, uh, more oversight by FDA because of you know the significant changes that have occurred in this industry over the past 25 or 30 years. I mean, in in, in uh, 1976, uh, when the uh, medical device amendments were passed, which originally gave FDA jurisdiction over devices, uh, the type of laboratory developed tests that were that were being used 20 or 25 years ago, that industry is certainly very different from the industry we see today. Well, what has changed to now make the FDA see it as something requiring its oversight? Well, there have been, I think, a, a, a number of changes within the industry itself, um, and, and certainly both technological changes so that you see much more in the way of computer software being used in tests, um, much more high-tech instrumentation that's used in the uh, not only in the development, but certainly in the analysis of these types of tests. Uh, and then even, even things like business models have changed. The advent of, uh, FedEx overnight delivery, uh, means that laboratories were in the past, uh, you know, 20 or 25 years ago, you'd be talking about laboratories that were doing samples, uh, of patients that were really local, uh, you, you know, local community hospitals, uh, local organizations where there was much more involvement at a local level of the physicians who were involved, uh, the institutions that were involved. And, and today we see situations where you can have, you know, a single lab located, uh, anywhere in the United States or frankly even in the world that can really service customers from, you know, uh, either either all throughout the U.S. or in some instances even throughout the world. So the industry has has changed significantly, and I think uh, from from the perspective of of the FDA, that's necessitated changes in in how they see oversight and regulation should occur. I, I take it the way these tests are being used has also changed. Where once upon a time they may have been used to diagnose a rare disease today. We're seeing a, a, a much more 
complex approach where in a, in a world of personalized medicine, these tests are being used to really guide treatment decisions by doctors in terms of, say, someone who has a cancer to determine what drug is appropriate or, or other approaches. Has that had a big effect on the way FDA is thinking about their role? I think very much so, and and in the in the framework that FDA has has published recently, back at the end of July, uh, FDA talks a lot about taking a risk approach uh, to to oversight of the product, and and talks about some of the concerns that you talk uh, that you just mentioned that. Um, in many ways, the, the, how LDTs are being used now are in, in much more of a clinical manner, uh, that may, that have much more impact on, on the treatments that may be used. And in many ways, especially when we're talking about things that are, uh, tests that, that are evolved for, for cancer and other, you know, high risk diseases, uh, where the risk to, uh, to the patient should the, should there be a, you know, uh, 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 an inaccuracy in the test can be very high. So I, I think the idea that there's greater risk now because there is more, uh, uh, more reliance on these tests is, is another concern and one of the reasons that FDA has stated that, you know, more oversight is needed now than in the past. Well, the FDA has actually made overtures to regulate LDTs for some time, let's say at least going back to 2007. Why haven't these past efforts taken hold? Well, you're right that this is, to the extent that, that many, including myself, have called this a sea change in terms of FDA's uh, regulatory pathway for how these products are going to be treated with, I don't think there is anyone that should have been taken by surprise by what FDA uh, published recently with respect to its framework. Um, as you stated, FDA has, has, has taken this position publicly uh, back in 2010 uh, when they had a public meeting uh, on uh, development of LDTs and, and, and regulatory uh, a regulatory framework, and and even earlier than than that, when when members of FDA uh, have publicly stated that they thought it was uh, appropriate and 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 necessary for FDA to change the to change the uh, the, the manner in which that it had been regulating LDTs. Now, why it took from 2007 to 2014 uh, to actually get FDA to publish a, a position that really laid out with, with some detail uh, as to what they were going to do in the future. I, you know, I, I think this is both a, a, a complicated area, and it's one where there are clearly differences of opinion and uh you may be aware i'm sure that the house uh, subcommittee on uh, on uh, on health recently had uh i think 2 days ago on the 9th uh a panel hearing uh, on this issue and and there were there were entities that were taking the position that fda uh, did not have the legal authority uh, to uh, regulate FD, uh, LDTs in the manner that the framework lays out, and there was there were others who were quite supportive of it. So there 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 are mixed opinions on whether 
FDA even has the legal ability to move forward with what they're doing. There are mixed opinions on whether uh, FDA is is taking the right approach, even if they do have the legal authority. Um, so I, I think there hasn't been a real uh, coalescence among the that FDA has has taken the right strategy. Um, moreover, in in 2012. Uh, there was legislation that was passed under the Food and Drug Administration Safety and, uh, and Innovation Act, which required FDA to notify Congress uh, 60 days before it issued any draft guidance. And that, that's what necessitated uh, what we saw at the end of July, which was a letter uh, to both the House and the Senate uh, laying out this, what FDA termed, a framework. Uh, rather than, than a draft guidance. So it, it was almost the pre-publication, uh, to Congress saying this is what, uh, this is what we intend to do with LDTs. And, and I suspect that within, you know, within the Congress itself, there are mixed opinions on whether FDA is taking the right approach here. So, you know, FDA has laid down a, an initial marker as to what they intend to do, but I think there's a lot of, uh, um, stakeholders in this process, including the Congress itself, uh, that are going to weigh in and, and, and ultimately have impact, have an impact on, on what this, uh, what FDA's regulatory framework is going to be for LDT. So this is really the beginning of, of the story and not the end. Um, and those complexities, I think, are why FDA really did this in a, in a rather slow and deliberate manner. Well, the, the agency has indicated it's not going to treat all LDTs equally. What's the approach the FDA is expected to take? Well, the, uh, I think there's two components of the approach that FDA is is taking. The first, as I mentioned, is they are taking a so-called risk-based approach, um, which is similar to how FDA treats medical devices in general, uh, and that's to say based on uh, a variety of risk factors, FDA will classify LDTs in the same way that they classify medical devices in general, which is to say that they will be classified uh, in class one, class two, and class three, with class one being the lowest risk devices and class three uh, being the highest risk uh, of devices. FDA has said that the factors it will include uh, include whether the device is intended for use in high-risk diseases or conditions or patient populations, whether the device is used for screening or diagnosis, uh, the nature of the clinical decision that will be made based on the test result, whether a physician or a pathologist would have other information about the patient to assist in making a clinical decision in addition to the LDT result, meaning is it the only thing they're going to be relying on um, or is it one of several factors the clinician may be relying on, uh, whether there are alternative diagnostic and treatment options available to the patient, and then the potential consequences or impact of erroneous results uh, if, again, if, if there was uh, to be a problem with the device. So FDA has given us some sense of the risk factors that they're looking at. Um, I think that's one area 
Uh, one where FDA has already indicated that within the next two years, within 24 months of a final guidance being published, that it will give additional guidance to industry on how it intends to classify LDTs within those class one, class two, and class three classifications. So I think it's an area that, that FDA recognizes it will engender many, many questions and for which they're going to need to give additional guidance. So. First, there's that that uh, risk factor evaluation, and the second is there's going to be a, a fairly significant phase-in period. Um, uh, the guidance has many benchmarks in terms of timing because there are a number uh, of new requirements that are going to be put in place, including requiring requirements for notification to FDA, uh, complying with uh, medical device reporting, complying with the QSR, uh, and uh, and complying with the adverse event notification, um, and those are going to be phased in to some extent. Uh, excuse me, as well as pre-market submission, whether that's either a 510k or a PMA, and and that's going to be phased in in, in almost over a nine-year period. Um, some of them certainly sooner than others, uh, but this is you know a, a framework where we're talking about almost a decade in the making before we get to the end of what FDA has proposed. So there is a, a fairly substantial amount of implementation time, and and I expect there's going to be some bumps along the way, and and there's going to be some some changes that may need to be uh, to be made as as policies are implemented. And what are the implications for companies that have existing LDTs in use today? Will they have to do anything? Well, in in, in my notes uh, about uh, what the greatest effect of, of companies, I, I have three dollar signs written down, um, and I think you know I think the biggest challenge uh, for laboratories is really going to be what FDA is is proposing are a significant amount of. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I don't want to use the term burdens in a completely negative sense, but it, it, there's going to be a, a significant amount of, of time uh, and resources that, that companies who wish to continue to stay in this, uh, in this uh, industry, uh, there, there are going to be significant costs that are associated with, with companies uh, in order to be able to comply with these new requirements. Will existing um, tests be grandfathered? Or are they going to have to go through some kind of a registration process? Or? That that's a, a a great point and and one that that uh, is, is very clearly made to the extent uh, that companies need to make pre market submissions and and we haven't gotten into the the details of this but again uh, based on on risk factors uh, there will be some devices that will be required to go through either the PMA or the 510K process, uh, and there are time frames in which those submissions need to be made. Uh, but FDA's stated position is that so long as uh, the submissions are made, those pre-market submissions are made within the time frames indicated, companies will be able to continue to keep products on the market while they're under review. Um, so at, at least as proposed right now, uh, there's no suggestion that any device or any LDTs that are currently being marketed uh, will need to be withdrawn from the market. And I think that's important. So in, in terms of you know, companies that are in this field that are thinking strategically about their future, 
what are they going to have to do differently going forward? Well, and I think the challenges are going to be uh, there will be a large learning curve, uh, and and that's going to be difficult. You know, for example, let me use the quality system regulation as an example, the QSR requirements. Um, companies are currently required, of course, uh, to, to comply with CLIA standards. Um, but the QSR standards, the quality system regulation standards, are really meant to be applied to manufacturers of devices. And, and how the overlap of CLIA and the QSR, uh, are going to be handled by FDA and CMS is an issue that, that I think even the, even the regulators at this point realize are not well defined. And it's going to be difficult for companies to begin uh, determining what types of resources they need, what types of hires they need, whether they need consultants, uh, you know, when they know that there are new requirements that are going to be put in place at some point, but that those requirements aren't really very clear right now. So I think the difficulty is, is, uh, to begin planning for something for which you don't really understand. And, and, you know, thankfully, uh, there is a fairly significant implementation time for many of these, um, but there's not a lot of good guidance right now. I, I'd say, with respect to the, you know, to the framework that FDA has published, uh, it gives very broad strokes on what they intend to do, uh, but doesn't provide a lot of clarity on many of these issues as to how they're actually going to be implemented. So I think companies are, 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 are you know, are rightfully at this point uh, should be asking a lot of questions. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of comments from industry to FDA when the final uh, guidance is published. And I think there needs to be a lot of education by FDA because, frankly, in an area where they have had very little oversight for a long time, uh, I think even FDA would acknowledge uh, that there may be a knowledge gap on their basis, uh, on their uh, point um, as to how these how this industry actually operates, and I think they need to be receptive to uh, being educated on on issues uh, which may be very important to the industry and in which FDA doesn't have a lot of information yet. So I, I think there needs to be a flow of information both from FDA to the industry and industry to FDA on this issue. I think there's a lot to be learned from both sides. Well, the FDA's timing probably could have been better. It comes as Congress is moving forward with efforts to advance the 21st Century Cures Initiative, which seems to bring with it some animosity towards regulation. What's the politics around this, even though both the 21st Century Cures Initiative and, and the FDA's efforts to regulate LDTs are framed around hastening an era of personalized medicine? Well, I, I would say there's some skepticism. And again, talking about the, the uh, uh, Subcommittee on Health uh, uh, hearing that they had a couple days ago. I think it's worth, uh, I'll just read two sentences from the statement of, uh, Chairman Pitts, who said, it is indisputable that the draft guidance documents the agency recently released would fundamentally, fundamentally alter the regulatory landscape for the review and oversight of LDTs and the clinical labs that develop them. That fact alone has raised legitimate concerns about whether FDA can or should use guidance to promulgate a new regulatory approach. Um, I, I think from that statement, you can you can hear that there is some skepticism with FDA's approach here, and with the amount of, of visibility 
that that uh, this has gotten. Uh, I, I think it's clear that there is going to be uh, a significant amount of, of of input from Congress, and to the extent that Congress is involved from, from the natural constituents that they're going to hear from. Um, so again, I, I, I think FDA's framework that they've published to some extent is a starting point, um, but may not be exactly where we end up after, you know, the variety of stakeholders have, have their say here. And I think that includes, I think that includes Congress. And I, and I think the 20th Century Cures Initiative, um, is going to inject, uh, necessary balance to make sure that yes, to the extent there should be more oversight. And I think FDA is the natural regulatory agency to do that, uh, but to really balance the concerns of not stifling innovation while ensuring that there is appropriate regulatory oversight. So I think a balance will be struck uh, or needs to be struck, and, and I think this is an area with, you know, significant enough visibility uh, that there's going to be a variety of stakeholders who are going to weigh in on this issue very strongly and with opposing views. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's not yet clear uh, what direction uh, a number of, uh, of entities are going to go. And, you know, for example, the, the, clinical, the clinical laboratories who both submitted uh, citizens, a citizen's petition to FDA suggesting that they uh, did not have the legal authority uh, to regulate LDTs, FDA rejected that argument and, and pressed ahead. Uh, they've continued to, you know, to make that argument, and I think one issue will be, uh, do they, you know, will they pursue a legal challenge, or are they going to try and, and, and spend, uh, spend their time, uh, trying to affect the process rather than derailing the process? Uh, and I think that's an issue that, that is not yet clear, so that I think there's a couple of directions that that go, could go still. Nate Bieber, partner with Foley and Lardner. Nate, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.